to the Strong Life Coach Podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. Today, I'm joined in the podcast studio by attorney Valerie Gonzalez. Valerie, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. All right. I'm excited about our conversation. If you're tuning in, I want you to know a little bit about Valerie. Valerie Gonzalez is the owner of a boutique law firm in Los Angeles, California, where she focuses on all things family and human resources consulting for small businesses. She she also enjoys assisting students at her local law school with their writing and exam skills, volunteering with Christian Legal Aid, and being a mom to her seven-year-old daughter. Valerie's mission is to provide confident encouragement and hope to every client. Follow her journey at SGV Law on Instagram and www.sangabriellevalleylaw.com. And I'll put that in the show notes so you're able to find that. Valerie, let's jump into the interview. How did you decide to focus on all things family and human resources? Oh, that's a really great question. And I get asked that all the time because it is kind of an untraditional path, especially for a law firm to take. Um, Usually law firms specify family law, criminal law, personal injury, things of that nature. But when I was creating my law firm, I really wanted to focus on the things that matter to me, the things that were important to me, because it's my law firm. I'm the boss. I can do that. Right. (laughs) So I said, I want to do the things that are going to make me wake up every morning, excited to help people excited to um, take on. And so the first thing is family. For me, family is everything. As you mentioned, I'm a mom to a little girl and she's my whole world. Um, And I have a wonderful family network behind me who have supported me. So that was an easy one for me. Mm-hmm. The second part, human resources, small business consulting, um, was also kind of easy because I was a non-traditional law student. I had um, a 10-year human resources career prior to going to law school. So I had a lot of great experience um, working with small business owners, um, seeing what works, things, seeing what doesn't work. And um, I'm really passionate about helping people to stay out of court and stay out of litigation. So <laughs> it seemed like an easy and um, no-brainer choice for me. Sure. When I listen to your story, I'm hearing you describe you're tapping into your passion and you're making the most of what means a lot to you. One, from your the family perspective, but also um, from everything you learned. So in other words... That 10-year human resources career, what I'm hearing from you, was not going to go to waste. You're maximizing that experience, so you're still making the most of it now. Exactly. That's a really good way to say it. You know, I considered kind of moving away from it because um, I had done it for so long, and um, I just wanted to kind of switch things up. But when I really looked at it, I realized that it did excite me. It did make me feel passionate, like you mentioned. And I knew that I could be a resource to people who don't have access necessarily to these 
um, either huge uh, human resources services or hiring their own human resources person. Those are two really huge expenses. So I realized that I could be a, a resource to them in more of a consultant fashion so that they could afford someone like me, but also afford to run their business, which is what it's all about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, and, I, and, and I love how you describe too, you being being the boss and that's what being a business owner is you can figure out how you want to do it you know you want to figure out your you know your flavor if you will and and how you want to run your um your practice including that human resource element and to your point um you know i've been hosting a number of of attorney of, of attorneys and in fact the latina attorneys on my on the podcast and you're the first one who has this component of human resources and it's a it's it just I, I could see how it establishes authority in your world because where, where your law firm is relatively new, but then your experience in human resources, that's season. You have a decade of experience. So you're able to say, well, I have a decade of experience in what my law firm is all about. Yeah. Thanks so much for recognizing that. Um, I agree. You know, not just the human resources experience, but I have those, that experience with um, working in a, in a work environment that a lot of attorneys don't necessarily have coming straight out of law school. Um, I've gone through, you know, having great bosses and having terrible bosses, um, managing people, um, and just kind of those are called intangibles the things that you don't really learn in college um you can't really learn in um any other fashion except by experience how to write an email sounds professional how to speak to senior management these are all um intangible skills that you and i all have to know and we either learn it um on the job or we learn it the hard way by having people not respond to us the right way, but we all learn it somehow. And so I am, I am fortunate to have learned that already um, in my career uh, previously so that now starting my own business, I can I don't have that same learning curve, I guess. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, when I think about what you're saying there is, you know, cause I, I was in the corporate world for seven years and uh, oh. I, I was in the insurance world. And I remember, you know, you know, being, you know, in that leadership role um, where when my employees, if they're, you know, it, it didn't happen often, I'm grateful, but when they, there was a complaint, they went up that, you know, it went to human resources. And so <laughs> even you, that precious experience, like, you know, with that 10 years of experience, what people complain about, what they don't like, what rubs them the wrong way. So you have, again, this wealth of insight, this, this, this treasure chest of insight of, and in, in some ways, what, okay, absolutely what to do, but from a human resources perspective, you have a whole lot of stories, I imagine, of what not to do. <laughs> oh my gosh, Derek, yes. <laughs> You're so right on. Um, I have seen a lot of crazy stuff and a lot of funny, funny things. And you're right. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. And so based on that, yeah, I can, I'm able to talk to business owners and 
kind of see, foresee the pitfalls that are coming because people are all the same. We're all the same in a number of areas, meaning that we all want respect. We all want acknowledgement. We all want um, basic kindness. Of course, that comes out in different ways, right? But if you can get those kind of things down as a business owner, you can apply them to your employees. So yes. you're right. Based on all the crazy shenanigans that I've seen in <laughs> the workplace, it makes for a good a good background. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I'm grateful because I feel like when you have those weird situations happen in the work environment, that's the first thing everybody says, well, did you call HR, you know, and see what's the, the HR yes. perspective on this. And so it was just a great resource um, in the corporate environment. And, but then for you to be able to offer that to uh, small businesses, again, I think it just, it adds to your overall value. Oh, thanks, Derek. That's so kind of you. Yeah. You know, I noticed that a lot of people, um, they, they kind of disregard human resources in the small business sense, because they think that either they can do it themselves or they don't really understand the importance of the role. They don't really, really understand having human resources, like having an in-house lawyer, not to the same degree, of course, but they're the person who's watching the business and trying to maintain your money. A lot of people see them as being money suckers because they don't generate income, but they're not money suckers, they're money keepers because they're helping you maintain your money so that you're not paying it on court court fees yes. <laughs> and litigation. And I, I could see how even as a business owner, the reason you get into business because you have confidence or faith or something like that, but then sometimes myself included, you can have so much optimism that you don't realize how some things, even I, I know you're doing a series right now on, on, on Instagram about, um, how, it's something to the effect of how you don't get sued as a small yeah. business, right? Right. Mm-hmm. How to not get sued as a small business owner. We highlight top four reasons people get sued. <laughs> yes. Yes. So if you want to be scared, I mean, if you want to be enlightened, <laughs> um, uh, if you're listening in, in all seriousness, she's added some great insight. And I think that that will help you if you're listening in to the podcast as a small business owner, what you can do to proactively save money in the long term. As the saying goes, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I like that. I've never heard that before. Oh, really? I, I, my mom grew up saying it to me all the time. So I feel like it's just like, you know, part of my, uh, my DNA, if you will. That's a good one. Maybe it's a mom original. Sounds like a good mom original. <laughs> There's no, <laughs> no way, no way. But she is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, now let me ask you, what is the best advice you received about being an attorney and a law firm owner? Oh, there's two, two wonderful um, pieces of, of advice. The first one was always get paid. <laughs> I was shocked, Derek, when I heard um, from professors of mine, actually. So senior attorneys, seasoned um, men and women who have been in the industry, been small business owners themselves. Um, I was shocked when I when they told me that people don't pay their lawyer bills. <laughs> Does that shock you? I mean, of all the bills I would pay, it would probably be my lawyer so that he doesn't sue me, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, but that, I guess people don't think of it that way. <laughs> well, you know, speak to that, you know, and speak to that, maybe that experience because of this. Um, we tend, or for me, for me, we tend to project our limited experience onto every other space. Like, for example, the first time I ever hired an attorney, um, she had a retainer, which, again, I didn't know what a retainer was until she said, oh, well, I charge a retainer. You know, it's like $1,800 just to, right. just to start doing the work which I didn't know and understand the value of that until I spoke and heard from other attorneys who are saying um, they're, they're trying to charge, but they're having trouble collecting. So anyway, talk about any of that. Talk, talk yeah. about all of that. That's a really good point. And you're right. We never really understand it until we're in the situation. And so I am... I am the same way. I didn't understand that people don't pay their lawyer bills <laughs> until my professors told me that. So typically attorneys do charge retainer fees um, because the danger is, is that we're going to start working for you on a project, which takes our time and attention and expertise away from other projects. Um, and we're committing to doing that for you. And so we have to have some sort of guarantee that we're going to get paid. So it's basically an insurance so that we can um, do our best for, for you. Um, it, ultimately, it just benefits you because we're saying that um, we're committing to being available either for your court date or we're committing to being um, available to finish this important project for you. And you want to count on us, so we want to count on you as well. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole basis for that. <laughs> sure. So then is it where it's, I mean, I, I could foresee maybe that maybe that personal injury space where they're saying, Hey, we won't, you know, we'll pay you only if we win to what yeah. back to your advice, the advice you received, which was make sure you get paid. How is it that a, even attorneys that charge retainers end up still trying to collect money? How, how does that work? Yeah. Well, the kind of fee you're describing is a contingency fee. Um, and there's certain rules in every state that govern our profession. In California, there's only some um, areas of the law that you can accept a contingency fee, so not all of them. So there's some rules regarding that. Um, but basically, a retainer fee can act a couple of different ways. It can be to secure my representation. So um, to confirm that I am your lawyer and I'm going to represent you in this capacity and we would agree to that. We can outline whatever we want really. Um, but then there's also an hourly fee. Um, I, I don't necessarily charge that for every service, but a lot of lawyers do. And so there's, um, you know, if I'm going to work on this contract for you, I have to do research, I have to write it, I have to make sure that it'll hold up in court um, so that you don't have any problems in the future. And so that's going to take a number of hours for me to do. So some lawyers charge by the hour for that, or some charge a flat fee and say, I'll do your contract for, you know, $1,000 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Got it. And then the way they get behind after, after taking maybe that initial payment, it's because they're, they, do, they do the work that's beyond what was initially expected. And then that's, is that how they get behind? In other words, where if they yeah. don't charge in the beginning, they end up trying to charge after the fact? Yeah, because we can estimate, you know, okay, this project will take me 10 hours, but you don't necessarily really know. So it could take 10 hours and I'll bill you. And then there may be more 
And so I have to bill you on an ongoing basis. Hmm. Yes. Got it. Okay. Now um, that's helpful and it makes a lot of sense. Um, very <laughs> good to know. Now, now, so Valerie, if somebody was listening to this podcast and they were hearing your insight, they were hearing your passion and they're saying, we want to help Valerie in any way we can. What would that, what, what can they do out there to help you, to support you, to, to support your law firm? What would that be? That would make, first, that would make me so happy if anyone really felt that way, <laughs> which I know a lot of my friends and family do, and they do support me. So I appreciate that. Probably the best thing would be to follow my Instagram and interact and then um, share my Instagram or refer me to other people who maybe could use my services. So, um, I, you know, I forgot to mention the second thing, the oh, second yes. piece of advice to your other question. Yeah, but it goes along with it. <laughs> so I want All to right. mention that. One of the other best piece of, pieces of advice someone gave me was that when you're marketing your business, the, the secret sauce, if you will, the thing that really differentiate, differentiates yourself from another business who is uh, who perhaps offers the same services is you. You're the secret sauce. So being authentic to who you are, your personality, um, gives people uh, a, an impression of who they're working with and what they can expect working with you, with you know your business. Um, but it also is that magic. It's that magic element that makes your business come to life. So if someone you know wanted to support me, I would hope it's because they. Um, resonate with my personality or my energy and um, they would think that we would work well together or that I can encourage them in some way that would make me so happy mm -hmm. I like that I like it and I think when, when, when you when you when you look over at your Instagram I think it comes across I think your joy comes across your insight comes mm -hmm. across and I think you know you, your, your optimism right I think that's really clear with who you are um, so podcast listeners did you hear what she said so she said to go follow her instagram engage with her content go to go to her timeline and share her content on your story that would mean a lot to her um so um we want to be a great support system for her um and 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 i'll lead the way in that i think i'm already following her <laughs> And, and, and so, so once you hear, the, once I post this podcast, I'm going to go over and share one, a piece of her content so you all can see, hey, I'm leading by example. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. You're the best. Now, um, what are your favorite qualities in a person? Oh, wow. That's a good question, too. You're coming with the good questions, Derek. My favorite qualities in a person. I would probably say many qualities that are opposite of mine. <laughs> I don't think of myself as the most patient person. I admit it, Derek. I admit it. Um, and so people that are patient um, and uh, patience is such a kindness you know, I think the root of it is kindness. And so people that are patient um, with those around them, meeting people where they're at, you know, based on their different levels of either life experience or understanding. Um, I think that just really warms my heart. I really appreciate people like that. Um, 
Another thing is people who are encouraging, you know, people who really have no uh, ego or agenda and just encourage um, because that's how they are. You know, I think of my, my daughter, she's seven, but children tend to be like that. You know, they have no ego or agenda and they just kind of say what they, what they mean. And she's the best type woman. I mean, she tells me every day that I'm beautiful. (laughs) And I mean, yeah, if we could all be a little more like that, I think our world would be amazing. Right. Mm -hmm. If we just kind of said what we, what we thought with, you know, with grace, that would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think those are those are powerful qualities, and I appreciate you you highlighting that about uh, your daughter, um, because uh, I think like this the idea of having somebody who supports us, um, especially our children, being being that like you said that that hype woman who believes <laughs> in mom, wants mom to be successful, wants mom to know she's beautiful, you know. Those details, right? I mean, can you put a price on that? Oh, no, that's amazing. I mean, what kind of, who do you have in your life that's that's that loyal? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And I I appreciate you also talking earlier about your, you know, um, patient, right? And you mentioned opposite. Again, I'll also confess to that one. (laughs) I tell tell people in my circle, I say, look, um, I wish there was a button on me and I could press it. And I'd be patient forever. If if I yeah. could press it, that button, if I could flip the switch, if I could pull the lever, I would just be patient for, forever. Um, yep. but it doesn't seem like there is one. Um, so <laughs> I'm I'm probably gonna be working on patience till I die. Um, yep. Same. Um, so. I'll be there with you, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I appreciate that. And, I, and, um, and just that, that encouragement, like you said. So but I think both, both of those, patience and encouragement, those are powerful qualities. Yeah. So Yeah, I agree. Tell me, what inspired you to become an attorney? Well, as I mentioned before, I was a non-traditional student. So that means someone who was older um, it could be a couple of things, someone who's older or goes back to school um, and is working full time and doing school because the typical law student is about 23, 25. They come straight out of college. They go straight to law school. They don't have prior career experience. So they don't have work. They don't have family obligations. Um, they kind of go through this funnel. Um, but I was a non-traditional student in the sense that I had worked 10 years prior uh, in a career job and I was a single mom and um, I had little jobs, but thankfully I was able to commit full-time to law school. So um, so I was a non-traditional student and um, the reason why I really decided to quit my job, quit my career and go back to law school was a, a lot of things. Um, I had my daughter and I became a single mom and my whole life changed. Um, All of my priorities changed. My life was completely rocked in every single aspect. And so because of that, um, I I just looked at life completely different. I now had new obligations and responsibilities. I had to provide for my daughter. But more than that, I wanted to be someone that she could respect and admire Um, And so that became kind of my new focus. Um, My job, I had been in it for 10 years, like I said, and um, I was happy with a lot of things, but I wasn't 
fulfilled by any sense of the word at all. And so um, it was kind of an easy position to be in because all of this discomfort, all of this change in my life really pushed me through the doors to make this decision. I'd always thought about law school. Um, my cousin laughs at me because I had said, uh, I always told her I would go to law school, but really I just kind of told people that to get them off my back. Cause after you graduate undergrad, they say, what's next? Mm. Oh, I think I'll go to law school one day, but I never really, really meant it. <laughs> but I, I, I had it in the back of my head. It was something that I, that I liked or thought I could be good at. Um, but it wasn't until those really hard circumstances of my life happened that um, pushed me to change my life and um, do something different. Mm. Fascinating. I want to highlight. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I want to highlight what you said there. I cut this phrase you used. You were talking about being happy in your career, but not fulfilled. And, and yeah. which, here, here's why I love that. Um, and I'm, I'm with you 100%. Because I personally believe I can be happy in any career. I, I can be happy cleaning restrooms. You know, like I, I, I can. I can find a way to, to find and be happy. But to your point, yeah. ful being fulfilled um, I, I, that hits me so much again in my corporate life and in my corporate life, I, you know, it's corporate, but it, it, I was working in an operation center. I was working in a call center and, and in that space, um, my direct reports were answering phone calls, taking customer service oriented calls, taking payments, um, switching, switching insurance policies on vehicles or on, on the, the homeowners policies. But, um, I remember having conversations about what you just described, the, the difference between happy and fulfilled. I was happy, but the mm -hmm. idea of me using my time, so much of my time in areas that were not natural areas of gift. Like my, in other words, I felt like my gift was going to waste, which my, yeah. my main gift is communicating, whether that's writing, speaking, asking questions, interviewing like this, but most of my time was doing a bunch of other things that had nothing to do with the community. So it was incredibly unfulfilling. Simultaneously, I would say I was happy, but I think I, I just love the delineation you, you captured there. Yeah, thanks so much for noticing that. You know, though, I have noticed that uh, since going through this experience, that that whole concept of being fulfilled by a job is it's really, it's really not true. Um, at least that's, that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that we're supposed to be fulfilled by our job. I think the things that are most important are outside of that. And if you can, if you can marry aspects of those things together into your job, then you're a very lucky person. Like you mentioned, you know, that communication, speaking, writing, those are your your skill sets and where you thrive. And you put that into your job, your business. So you're a very fortunate person. Right. Most people don't do that or can't do that. Um, and so, uh, you know, really finding fulfillment in the things that matter, um, I think tends to not be a job. So for me, you know, family, family is everything. I'm just fortunate enough now to put that into my job. Hmm. 
I, I think that's that's deep water. I think we might have to have a whole podcast <laughs> on just I know, I'm fulfillment. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what is fulfillment? You're what right. is you know <laughs> happiness in your career? Fulfillment in your career? We might have to we might have to do a webinar on that one day, <laughs> Valerie. We'll say we planted the seed for that webinar right here. <laughs> I'll be back. I'm coming back. We got to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> So um, one thing that stood out to me, I think it was on your Instagram, but also you mentioned it a couple of times here, is the component of navigating your career, you know, as a career mom and attorney. Talk about that. What, what, what has that been like for you? Yeah, well, you know, prior to having a child, I would say I was not a disciplined person. Um, I did what I needed to do. I got it done, but I wasn't, I wasn't disciplined. I, I did it when I when it needed to be done, like I said, but not with any sort of um, structure or real passion or prioritization. Um, after I became a mom, like most parents can tell you, I mean, my time went down the drain, it was gone. <laughs> so I had no choice but to really learn to be disciplined. And I'm so grateful for that, because I really needed that. So, uh, you know, when I was in law school, I remember a professor who would tell me, oh my gosh, I could have never done law school with a child. And I remember saying back to them, I could have, I could never do law school without a child because she gave me structure. I only had so many hours in the day to study and get everything I needed to get done. And then before I had to attend to her and, and spend time with her and be there for her. So it forced me to do everything I needed to do in a window of time. Um, and it forced me to have balance. A lot of students uh, in law school are really imbalanced people because law school is their life because that's just how it goes. It, it, you kind of have to make it your life. And law school was my life, but it wasn't my um, sole reason for being you know? And so my daughter really gave me that, that balance in order to be um, a more well-rounded person. Sure. Uh, you know, listening to you share the story, you know, I've, I've heard over and over again, of course, as a speaker and as somebody who loves thinking about contrast, but the concept of contrasting an excuse for an inspiration where some people might go, well, I'm a mom, so I have an excuse to not achieve. Versus, no, I'm a mom, so I have inspiration to achieve. And you described that with that structure, you know, so you didn't go, I have a mom, so I can't be structured. No, no, it's, I'm a mom, so structure is paramount for me to, one, take care of child, but two, to pursue a career that, that, that it would be incredibly meaningful um, for you. That's such a good point, Derek. And that's something I, I tell my students that I work with at the, at the local law school. I tell them the same kind of thing. You know, uh, a lot of times when things get tough, we give excuses and, and that's human, it's natural. But the reality is, and this is what I tell my students is that our competition is the California bar exam. Our comp competition are students from all over the country who come to California to take that bar exam. And that's people from Harvard, from Stanford, from all over. I mean, the best and the brightest. And that's people with children and without children. So we can't really, you know, um, we can't really depend on our excuses in order to get through law school or life. Um, because the reality is there are people who are doing what we're doing and don't have these other um, excuses or hangups or 
responsibilities, how I, I, how I like to look at it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So let, let, let's speak to the podcast listeners for a moment here. So I want to ask you a question, podcast listeners. What's, what's that one excuse you've been letting you hold, you've been allowing to hold you back? What's that one excuse? How can you take that excuse and transform it into inspiration where it no longer holds you back, but it becomes inspiration. It helps you to get better. It helps you to grow. It helps you to overcome. I just want to, want to encourage you to pinpoint that excuse and don't let it hold you back any longer. Oh, that's such a good point, Derek. Thank you. Um, let's wrap up the podcast. I have one question for you. You brought it up. You talked about the California bar, um, which from what I hear is one of the more difficult, you know, um, bars in the, in the country. You, you tell me more about it, but you took that on as a single mom and you also passed it on your first attempt, which is also remarkable. What was that like? How did you do that? Oh, thank you so much. Um, well, you know, I heard about the California bar long before I was ever even thinking about law school. It's kind of this elusive beast that people know about, um, kind of like you're saying, it's one of the hardest bars in the country, notoriously. And um, all throughout law school, it kind of loomed in the back of my mind of this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. <laughs> um, and, you know, I questioned myself a lot throughout law school as to if I could really pass it. If someone like me was good enough, smart enough, um, prepared enough, to, to do this. And I really never thought that I, that I was, um, until I really got into bar preparation, which is kind of the three months prior to law school or excuse me, prior to the exam. Um, you know, you spend three, three and a half years preparing ooh, ooh, my AirPod. Sorry. It's my, my big hair problems. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, you spend three years preparing for this exam, but the three months prior are really where you buckle down and everything comes together. And it's a full-time job day in and day out of intense preparation. And so um, I just really relied on what I had done for the past three years, which is to be disciplined, to prioritize, um, to be, be um, mentally, physically, emotionally strong. And um, one of the best things during that time was my dad um, talking to me about how really those kind of things, those skills are transferable to every aspect of your life. Those things are what, um, what makes it possible to overcome any obstacle. Things like mental fortitude, um, grit, strength, um, discipline. I mean, those can be transferred to any endeavor. And so, really my attitude was I'm going to do everything I can to study and pass this exam. And if I don't pass it, then it just wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me, but it wasn't anything that I did because I would have no regrets. I would do it a thousand percent. And thankfully I was successful. Um, but it, it's not necessarily that you have to be the best or the brightest or the most talented. Um, I think the award goes to the person that's the most disciplined and the one who's willing to sacrifice. 
And that can be said really of anything in life. Mm, yes, yes. What, you, what I was thinking as you were sharing it, the concept of there's talent that each one of us have, but then there's character. And you're describing character. You know, grit is character. Discipline is character. Structure is character. And um, I think the, the way one of the quotes goes is um, hard work beats talent when ta and talent doesn't work hard. And I nice. think very, very much what you just described, the hard work you put in. Um, and I think it applies to many other people as well, that talent will only take you so far before your character and the hard work has to kick in if you're going to have remarkable results. Like, again, what, what's the percentage for the California bar of people that take it and don't pass it? Well, the success rate is about, on average, like 50%. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, but that's average. It ranges for sure, like 20 to 60% around there. Sure. But even thinking, thinking about yeah. that concept, like it, it doing some of those sessions where it's 20, 30% people pass, meaning that for you to do what you did, again, it's just um, nothing short of uh, remarkable and um, again, while you were navigating being a single mom, I, I just love hearing the stories like that. Thank you, Derek. It, it, I still don't know how it happened, but it happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you had to tell me the story. When you got the results, was there, was there a special story when you saw the results, the letter, or is there something there, there that, um, that, that, that we, we, we want to know about? Yes, I ugly cried. <laughs> I ugly cried for a long time. My whole family came over. I wanted them all to be there because I knew that if I didn't pass, they would cheer me up and hype me up. <laughs> um, and if I passed, I knew that I wanted them there to celebrate. So they all came over and my older brother was probably more nervous than I was. He was like, <laughs> he was all on edge and he was I heard him tell people, don't ask her, don't ask her about it. You know, like, don't bother her. Like, because the results come out at 6 PM on a Friday. That's how they always do it. And basically you log into your portal and the word pass is about this big. So if you're like me and you need glasses, you're like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's very, um, very interesting process. So I saw that and I ran outside and I told everyone and we all cried and cheered and it was a wonderful memory. Wow. <laughs> that, that's bold. That, that's real bold. I feel like the idea of having them there to, to, to potentially tell them that I didn't pass, that, that, yeah. that, that is so bold. But I, but I, I love that, that, of course, on this side of it, we have the good news story that you were able to run out to them with the good news and celebrate together. Totally. But you know, it was only fitting for my story because they had been with me that whole time. They were the ones who supported me, who watched my daughter for me when I had to study. So they, they were in it with me and I knew that they would support me no matter what. Yes. Sounds like it was a victory for you and it was a victory for the village as well. Yes, I completely agree. <laughs> well, beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to say, Valerie, thank you for joining me on the Strong Life Coach podcast. 
Thank you, Derek. I loved being here. Thank you so much. All right. Well, if you're listening in again, we want to encourage you to go follow um, Valerie on Instagram. It is SGV Law. It's at SGV Law. And then her website is, you, you go to Teleform. How, how do you pronounce <laughs> your website? You, you let them know. <laughs> I know. You know what? It's because in California, it's so it's www.sangabrielvalleylaw. The San Gabriel Valley is an area of Los Angeles. <laughs> but I know when you read it, yes. it's kind of funny. <laughs> Got it. SanGabrielValleyLaw.com. Okay, perfect, perfect. All right, so if you're still tuning in to us, go ahead and go over to the Apple Podcast and, and give us the five-star rating over there. We are the Strong Life Coach Podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll connect with you on the next episode.